0: Good morning, everyone. Um, Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Uh, My name is Becky Oswald. I've been at McLean Press for about a year now. Um, I just finished up my time as a Capital Fellow uh, back in May, and I'll be leading our fourth grade girls in Club 45 this year. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, But believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, friends, good morning again and welcome to McLean Presbyterian. My name is James Forsyth, I'm senior pastor here, and it's great to have you for this time of worship here in our sanctuary. Down in our fellowship hall, perhaps joining us online. It is good for us to be together. I know that, that worship just brings a sense of uh, perspective and, and freedom and just some, some fresh air into my soul week by week. And we hope and trust that you'll leave here uh, having experienced something similar, knowing it was good for you to have been here this morning. We're continuing in our series, Sensing Jesus, this week. Each fall, we always start out with a series that is overtly and explicitly focused upon the person of Jesus Christ. And we've been looking at the Gospel of John and how John calls us to keep Christ at the very front and center of our lives and that how because Christ has come, because of the incarnation, we can in fact get our senses around him, make him the center of our lives. That in Christ we can see and taste and touch and hear and even smell the love of God for us. This week we continue in this series by looking at the sense of of, of touch and by seeing how through this sense Christ welcomes and resolves so many of our doubts. Doubt is the theme for the morning. So as we come to this section of God's word, let's first bow our heads together and pray. Father, as we meet together as your people this morning, um, we all have different questions. Um, Some of us have questions, concerns, uh, doubts that, that make it really hard to Uh, lean into our faith. Some of us, perhaps this morning, even have questions and and doubts that have prevented us from taking that step of of faith. And Lord, we know that as as life goes on uh, from day to day, from week to week, as we experience the fullness that life has to offer, there are inevitably times and seasons where we do have questions. So would you show us, Lord, how your word would teach us and instruct us for these times? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Okay, so last week we thought about tasting Jesus and uh, both pastors here and in the Fellowship Hall uh, referenced this verse in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus tells us, you know, truly I say to you, unless you become like a little child, you'll never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something about becoming like a child that is necessary in order for us to walk with Christ. But here's the thing. Um, Have you ever met a child who didn't ask 1,000 questions. Uh, Francis Schaeffer says, anyone who uses this argument that, oh, you shouldn't have doubts because you should have the faith of a little child has obviously never met a child and possibly never even been one right? Um, All of us know that children love to ask questions and children love to ask why. And kids who are with us this morning know that you make our community richer and better and more healthy because of all the questions that you bring. No, doubts and questions are an important part of our lives. And to become like a little child means we need to give these questions a little bit of air to breathe. So three questions for our time this morning. First of all, from our text, let's ask, what is doubt? Secondly, why do we doubt? And then thirdly, how can our doubts be transformed? So what is doubt? Why do we doubt? How can these doubts be transformed? Let's start together looking at verse 25 and ask this question, what what is doubt? Well, the Bible tells us, Hebrews 11 verse 1, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Doubt, by contrast, is being a little less sure and not quite so certain. Doubt is the gap that exists, one theologian says, between our present faith and perfect faith. The gap that exists between where we find ourselves today and that perfect faith that we would all long, perhaps, to have. And we see this in Thomas, verse 25. The other disciples come to him and they say to him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord, they say to Thomas. They seem sure, they seem certain, but Thomas, he isn't having it. He tells them, verse 25, unless I see him myself, unless I touch him myself, look how strong his language is, I will never believe. I will never believe, he says. There is a a gap between what he believes and what he's being told to believe. A gap perhaps even between what he believes and what he'd long to believe. And this, this gap that he's experiencing is what we experience. When there's a gap between our present faith and perfect faith. That's doubt. Now, just as we get rolling into this sermon, I hope you find like me that Thomas's doubt to actually be quite encouraging. That Thomas's doubt is, is encouraging. Why would I find it encouraging? Because it's just a reminder to us that doubt, questions, concerns, it's something that a hundred percent of us have to deal with. Even disciples like Thomas, So if you're a Christian this morning, you have doubts, you have questions, remember that these doubts don't make you a terrible Christian, okay? You are not saved by perfect obedience, and you are not saved by perfect faith. You're saved by the perfect Christ who saves us by grace as we are, doubts and all, and then welcomes us to come and bring our doubts to him. It's okay to wrestle with doubts. We'll see later. It's actually good to wrestle with doubts our doubts. So, what is doubt? It's not being sure. It's not being certain. When there's a gap between what we presently believe and what we wish perhaps we believed, and it's something we all wrestle with from Thomas all the way through to today. Okay, if that's what doubt is, uh, why, why do we doubt? What are some of your doubts? What are some of your concerns? What, wh- why do you have these issues? Well, we see two things in Thomas that perhaps explain many of our own doubts as well. The first thing we see has to do with intellect, and the second has to do with experience. Why do we doubt intellect and experience? First of all, we can see, can't we, that Thomas's doubt, part of Thomas's doubt, is intellectual. He knew that Jesus had been crucified. Remember at this point in John's gospel, Christ has already been nailed to the cross. He's already been put to death. And Thomas knew this. And so when the disciples come to him and say, hey, we've seen the Lord, he, he's not having it. Why? Because he knows that dead people have a really long track record of staying dead. That's what dead people do. Now let's go a little easy on Thomas, Thomas here. This is a very Reasonable objection that that he has it doesn't make sense to him. He knows it's not possible, and so in verse twenty-five, Luke, his brain kicks into gear. He reflects back on the crucifixion. He remembers in detail the wounds that Christ bore on the cross. And, and look at what he says. He says, "Unless first I see in his hands the mark of the nails, it's a graphic memory. Unless second I place my finger into the mark of the nails, so seeing." Ain't gonna get it done for me. I'm, I'm gonna have to touch him too, unless third I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, isn't it interesting? Thomas isn't looking for some mystical experience. He's not looking for some sign from above. He is the he is the original fact checker, looking for hard evidence. I'm not looking for some emotional time. I'm looking for hard evidence. I want to see. I want to touch. His doubt is intellectual because he knows that dead people stay dead. And again, we can understand it. When things don't make sense to us, we ourselves have doubts. Our brains kick into gear and we start to have questions. So perhaps it's the question over, you know, what about all the other religions? Like are they are they just completely wrong? Is Christianity is this like the only one that's right and all the others completely wrong? Or what about all the suffering in the world? Like if if the good God of the Bible, the good all powerful God of the Bible, really exists, then how come there's all this suffering in the world? Or or um you know science hasn't science disproved a lot of what the Bible has to say? Right? Our brains kick into gear, we start asking questions. Our intellect leads us to doubt as well when things don't line up to us when they don't seem right to us when they don't make sense to us we ourselves doubt so it's the first component of thomas's doubt intellectual doubt secondly though and it's important for us not to miss this there's more to thomas's doubt it's not just to do with intellect, it's also to do with his experience. Look down with me, we're going to contrast verse 19 with verse 24. Thomas' own experience causes him to doubt. The other disciples are so sure, so certain that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's confused because he knows that dead people stayed dead. But how is it that they now believe this? What's brought about this change in them? Well, the answer is found back up in verse 19. Read there. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So a week before they're gathered here, um, we see here that the disciples had been together again. Doors locked. When suddenly, look, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, "Peace be with you." So the section that we read in John, this is this is not the first time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. But a week before, he, he appeared uh, first time, stood amongst them, stood in the room. The other disciples saw him. The other disciples were able to hear him, even, even touch him. They were able to know from their experience that Christ had, in fact, risen from the dead. They saw that he was alive. But look at verse 24. Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. A week earlier, there'd be meeting. Jesus had appeared, but Thomas wasn't there. What's the message of that text? Never miss church. <laughs> <laughs> no, the point of the text is that the other disciples believed Christ had risen because they'd experienced him. They saw him. They touched him. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. I don't, we don't know where Thomas was, but wherever he was, he wasn't there. And so he personally hadn't seen Christ. He personally hadn't touched Christ. All his experience tells him is that Christ is still dead. And so he doubts. And again, let's be fair to Thomas, we understand how that goes. Because we doubt, yes, when things don't make sense, but also when, when things don't work out. Things in our experience cause us to doubt as well. Perhaps it's you know, Christians either in your life or just in our culture who behave so deplorably, you think, Can, do I really believe the same things this, this person does? Uh, perhaps it's your own experience of, of loss or grief or cancer coming into your life and making you question if your faith is, is real, if, if God really does care. Perhaps it's just generally living in a culture that has less and less time for God. We start to wonder if he even exists. Sometimes we too experience things that lead us to doubt. So what is doubt? It's the gap between perfect faith and present faith. Why do we doubt? Well, like Thomas, sometimes because of our intellect, sometimes because of our experience. When things don't make sense, when things don't work. Let's spend the, the rest of our time though, the next few minutes reflecting together on a third and important question. Okay, well, how can these doubts of ours be transformed? If doubt is something that we all deal with and it's understandable because of intellectual and experiential reasons, how, what do we do with these doubts? How can our doubts be transformed? Well, two things make all the difference for Thomas and hopefully two things that can make a difference for us as well. First, we see that Thomas gets evidence. and Secondly, we see that Thomas has an encounter. Evidence for his intellectual doubts and encounter for his experiential doubts. let's look at these two things. First, evidence for the intellect. See how Jesus meets Thomas in his doubt, doubt, verse verse 26. See it there? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Thomas was with them. Although doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can we imagine this scene? The disciples are gathered together in this locked room, perhaps a hushed room. And then, once again, with Thomas present this time, Jesus appears. All the disciples look at Thomas as if to say, I told you so. Right? Thomas just looks at Jesus, confused, perhaps bewildered, by, by what exactly is happening here. How do I get my head around this thing that, I'm, that I am now seeing? Jesus inhales, the silence is about to be broken. We wonder what Jesus is gonna say. Will it be a a word of rebuke? Hey, the rest of them believe, why didn't you? But when Jesus speaks, there's no frustration, there's no anger. Look at verse 27. He says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe two things i love about this moment first of all don't you love that in a room full of people jesus immediately directs his attention toward the one who doubts jesus doesn't show up and celebrate those who believed he shows up and pours his attention onto those who doubt that should i hope that that's encouraging and instructive for you if you have doubts and questions this morning That Jesus isn't angry with you for your doubts and questions, but in fact will draw near to you in order that you might know him in that place. Secondly, I love how Jesus speaks to Thomas. Look how closely Christ's words mirror Thomas's words put one finger on verse 25 and another finger on on verse 27 where we see that for each demand that Thomas had Christ issues a new command for every demand there is a command so in verse 25 Thomas had said unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and so now in verse 27 Jesus says see my hands unless you see him we'll see him Secondly, look, Thomas says, unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails. So verse 27, Jesus says, put your finger here. You won't believe unless you see, unless you touch. Well, come see, come touch. Third, look, unless I place my hand into his side, verse 25, Jesus responds, verse 27, place your hand in my side. And so while Thomas concludes verse 25, I will never believe, Jesus commands in verse 27, do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus gives Thomas evidence and then calls him to believe. It's instructive for us again, isn't it? That he would show up and give such, such hard evidence, give him answers to his questions, calling us, I think, in our own doubts and in our own questions to come and study the evidence, to come and study the, um, the, the case. Christianity, um, Christianity has always been a thinking faith. Qu- questions that have always been welcomed within the cr- Christian tradition. We're not worried that this is all a house of cards. You know, <laughs> 2,000 years of Christian faith and then you ask a question this morning and it all comes tumbling down, Right? Uh, We're not afraid for truth to be found out. We humble ourselves underneath the word of God that teaches us and instructs us. We presume that we all have questions, that we all have things we need to know. And so we want to come and study the evidence when we do have questions. It's good to wrestle with hard questions in order to seek answers. Uh, Tim Keller is so helpful on this. Let me read you a section. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. Can I just tell you too, in my own life, and just as as a pastor, uh, how true those words are. Time and time again, we see that the people who have the deepest walk with Christ, the people who have become most mature in their faith, are precisely those who had lots of doubts and questions. The people who really have a depth of intimacy with Christ are invariably those who, who actually... Explored their questions and their doubts. Why? Because it turns out that doubt is very often a gateway to faith. God uses our doubts, He uses our questions when we pursue them, in order to deepen our walk with Christ. So, if you look, if you have a doubt this morning, if you have questions this morning, come study the evidence. Here, four four simple steps to help. First of all, um, what is your doubt? What is your question? Write it down. Write it down. Writing it down is so helpful so that doubt doesn't just become this vague thing that kind of hangs over all your faith. So that just when you think of Christianity, you just think, oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, what, what aren't you sure about? Let, let, let's write these concerns down. Let's, let, let's write these questions down. Let's bring clarity to them. Once we've done that, second step, let's bring them to God. Let's pray about them. Third step, let's bring them to our community and let's talk about them. Fourth step, Let's find resources that speak to our questions and study the evidence. Read, reflect, think, think, think. It's so important for you to know that this church is a great place to explore your questions. This is what we have community groups for. For you to sit down and say, hey, this isn't making sense to me. This is why we have Sunday school classes. For you to dive deeply into questions that you may have. And we just want to be that church, we want to be that family where people know they can come and do that. Listen, um, there, are, there are lots of stupid answers, there are no stupid questions. And you'll find that when you ask your question, at least one other person in the room says, yeah, I've always wondered that too. And so, so let's be that family, let's be that family where we, where we raise these things and, and, and talk through these things together. Special word to to our teens and our young adults, you know, that the studies show us that teens who actually mature into adulthood and still having a, a firm grasp on their faith are those who felt very often that they had a place in which they could ask their questions. So come ask your questions. We're happy to talk about these things. Parents, so important that you create an environment in your home where your children can have doubts. Don't make your children feel that they're Letting somebody down, the church, you, someone else, if they have doubts or concerns about their faith. Create an environment where these things are are normal, where these things are expected. Thomas needed evidence, and so do we. So come, start at the evidence. Second thing that transforms our doubts for Thomas and for us is not just evidence, but then also an encounter. One preacher says, no matter how persuasively the evidence is presented to you, you'll never embrace the claims of the Christian gospel unless there is more than the logic of an argument. He's saying logical arguments are important. Reason is important. Thinking and reflection, those things are, are important and a necessary part of our faith. But you'll never fully embrace the gospel unless you find more. So yes, our doubts are transformed by evidence, but they're also transformed by an encounter, an encounter with Christ. Let's look at the text. Isn't it significant that Jesus didn't just send Thomas evidence? Uh, He didn't just send a sign or a miracle or a voice from, from the sky. Jesus sends Thomas himself. Jesus sends Jesus to Thomas. Jesus goes to meet Thomas himself, the physical presence of Christ that Thomas can touch. And it's only upon meeting this risen Savior, verse 28, that Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God. No matter how persuasive the evidence, we still need an encounter. You must experience Christ yourself, touch Him as it were in such a way that you know that He is real, and that you yourself will say, "My Lord and my God." Friends, do not believe that the world there is, the world that you can see, is, is all that there, is all that there is. There is a spiritual reality. <laughs> There is a spiritual dimension. We know that intrinsically, intuitively within ourselves, but more importantly, God's word tells us that it is so. And Christ calls us to be in relationship with him, to know him, to walk with him, to abide in him and have him abide in us, to live in union with him, to have an encounter with him in such a way that we are changed by it. Sometimes these encounters with Christ You know, sometimes they are dramatic, okay? I think of um, Helen Keller. No relation to Tim Keller, right? Uh, (laughs) Helen Keller, uh, famous, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with her as a a very young girl, had uh, a series of diseases that left her unable to see or hear. And the turning point in her young life came when Ann Sullivan entered her life. Ann Sullivan was a pioneer in what was known as Uh, touch teaching techniques and the famous story of course is told when the world of language and communication was opened up to young Helen as Sullivan took her hand and ran it under the water of the faucet and spelt out water on her hand. Suddenly Helen came to know that oh there, there are words and there are names and there is language and there is communication. And over time, much time, of course, she herself would actually learn uh, to read and to write and, and even to, to speak. Well, a, a less famous story is, is told of the day Ann Sullivan taught Helen not, not, how to, not how to speak, but, but taught her about Jesus. Helen had been very fearful of, of Sullivan ever leaving the house because it was through her that she had come to be able to communicate. She didn't like to be left in, in isolation or, or, or be alone from uh, Sullivan. So one day when she was about, Sullivan was about to leave, Helen got, got very upset and was, was, was crying. And so Sullivan drew near to her and, and, and wrote out on her hand, uh, don't be afraid, Jesus is with you. Helen took Sullivan's hand and wrote back, I'd always wondered what his name was. Later in life, she'd write to a local pastor that even before she had words, even before she could communicate, she was aware of the presence of God. She experienced and encountered God, even before she had the words to describe it. So sometimes the encounter is kind of dramatic. Sometimes it's much more mundane. I love the story of, um, of how C.S. Lewis came to accept Christ. Have you heard this story? So C.S. Lewis, you know, famous author, theologian, philosopher, Narnia, all the rest, tells the story um, of his first encounter with Christ. And, and somewhat humorously, it took place when he was being driven to the zoo by his brother and he's in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle, Right? This like truce, This isn't in Narnia, this is like in England, right? Uh, this, this happens, right? And Lewis reflected back and said, when we set out for the zoo, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was like when a man, after long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now The point isn't drama. Might be dramatic, might be mundane. The point is that Helen Keller and C.S. Lewis and Thomas all had an encounter with Christ in such a way that they knew that he was real. And I just wonder this morning if you've had that moment. I'm not talking about some mystical moment where your emotions are front and center. I'm talking about an experience of christ a moment where you've touched him as it were where you have said my lord and my god whereby you know he's real and can no more deny his existence than you can deny the existence of the person sitting next to you implications of this encounter for our doubt well if you have met him and if you haven't met him first of all if you have met this christ if you've called him lord and god you know that he can handle all your doubts and he can handle all your questions Now, what's important about this to me is those doubts and those questions don't necessarily disappear. They just become less threatening. What what, what do I mean? Well, um, let me just tell you personally. Right right now, uh, I'm reading through uh, the Gospel of Mark and I'm also just finished reading through the book of Corinthians, right, First Corinthians. See, when I read through the Gospels, I love everything Jesus does. I love about half of what he says and I don't understand the other half of what he says. You read through the book of 1 Corinthians, right? The first half of the book is just like an absolute beat down on the church, and the second half doesn't make any sense to me, right? Um, and I'm left thinking, huh, oh, Jesus, what is this about? <laughs> right? What is this, what is some of this gospel about? What is this, what is this letter about? I don't know, but I know you. And so these questions, these doubts are placed in the context of a relationship with you that makes them just a little less threatening to me, right? They are carried, as it were, in, in my walk with, with Christ. And so rather than something terrifying that's gonna kind of pull a thread and undo the entire faith, it just seems like it's part of living life with someone. Because you know, if Jesus is real, like if, <laughs> if, you, if you really have a relationship with Jesus, then of course you're gonna have questions about them. Have you ever been in a relationship where you just completely and fully understood someone? I have not. In fact, it amazes me. It, it, it amazes me, honestly. Rosie and I, we've been married 17 years, right? And you know, like, I love people, okay? And people are my thing, right? People come and see me, and they, we talk, and they tell me about their lives, and tell me about their stories, and then they say, oh, thanks, I feel, like, really understood, right? And that's, that's kind of, like, what I do on a day-to-day basis. And given all of that, how is it possible that I still don't really understand my own wife, right? How is it that we still have conversations that are just, you know, <laughs> Well, because she's real. (laughs) And she's beautiful and rich and deep, so there's lots to her I'm still figuring out. Because that's relationship. And so it is with Christ. He's real. And so there's things about him that I don't understand yet. Also, do you not think it's just consistent? Like, if God is as great as he says he is, of course there are things my tiny mind doesn't understand about him yet. And so you see how... A true relationship with Christ where you know him as Lord and God doesn't resolve all your doubts, doesn't answer all your questions. It just diffuses them a little bit. It places them in a context where you're happy to explore them. You even look forward to exploring them that you might know more about this one that you love. If you haven't had this encounter, how does it relate to your doubts? Simply um, simply because you must. And you can because like for Thomas, like for C.S. Lewis, like for Helen Keller, Jesus really is here now. And he really does call you to himself, to, to no longer disbelieve, but believe. Do you know you don't have to resolve all of your doubts before becoming a Christian? Just because you're questioning something doesn't mean you should reject everything. And the cross would call us to come and, and like Thomas, see, see the wounds and through faith even, even touch them. And believe that in him our sins are forgiven. And if we can entrust him with our entire salvation, we can trust him with the questions of life. We come, we receive him, and then together in this family, we work through our questions. A relationship with Christ, an encounter with Christ, may be the very thing you need in order to work through your questions. Okay, time's up. What is doubt? Doubt is not being sure, it's not being certain. The gap between faith as we find it and, and perfect faith. Why do we doubt? Well, like Thomas, often it's to do with our intellect. Sometimes it's to do with our experience. How are our doubts transformed? Well, when we come and examine, examine the evidence for our intellect and when we come and enc- encounter Christ for for our experience. Friends, let's be a family of little children. It's amazing how the older The older you get, you forget how little you know. So let's be a family of of children who drive each other crazy asking, why? Let's pray. Father, um, it's good news that you have come and done everything that was needed for our salvation death upon the cross, Christ paying the debt full and free, all your wrath against sin poured out on him so that we can be found in him, that we can be forgiven and accepted as if we're as as righteous as, as he is. And how good it is, Lord, that you're not just content to stop there. You don't do all this incredible work and then get upset with us when we find it all hard to believe. You understand, Lord, that that we are like dust, we're like grass, we're like uh, smoke in the air, and in our finiteness there are all sorts of things we struggle to believe and all sorts of doubts and questions that we have, and tenderly, Lord, with compassion you call us to bring these to you, um, so that many of them will be resolved, and so that the rest will be be less threatening, but will be uh, entrusted to you as well. So, Father, make us a family of faith that welcomes the question, welcomes the skeptic and the seeker, welcomes the doubts of of any believer. Uh, Together, Lord, will we be like children and ask why? These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.